Okay, all right, good morning. Hello, hello. If you have a Bible, grab it. Uh, go to Ephesians 6. If you're new or visiting, I want to say a special welcome. Glad that you're here and glad that you get to uh, join us today. If you're wondering what this is, it's very simply a worship service where we get to uh, worship and enjoy Jesus. And we do that a number of ways, uh, but very simply we do it by singing. We sing because uh, Jesus was God. Jesus did come. Jesus did live the life that we couldn't live and did uh, pay our debt for us and forgives us of sin, rose from death, gives us the spirits so that we might walk with him, be adopted as his children and receive reconciliation with God. So um, we're thankful for that. We're excited about that. That's why we sing. Uh, we also sit under the teaching of God's word. That's another way that we worship him by sitting under uh, what he's revealed to us, not what we think uh, should be revealed or said. And so uh, we sit under what God has said in the scriptures. We also um, take the Lord's Supper each week or communion based upon your background, how you understand it, how you've heard it. Uh, we do this not because we believe that this imparts righteousness to you. We do not believe that this increases your right standing with God. We do not believe that this in some way shape or form, uh, manifest favor with him that you didn't have before, and that's given in Christ and Christ alone, then we do this. You're going, why do we do this? We do this because Jesus said, every time you do this, it nourishes you or reminds you um, of what you have in me, of what you have in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so we love to remember the centrality of Jesus in uh, even taking the Lord's Supper each week. And we also uh, give because God was generous in giving us Christ. Uh, so we give on the silver boxes on the back walls, and many give online as well. And I'll continue to say and remind us that if you're not a regular attender or member, we're not interested in what you have to give. Uh, we really just want you to know Jesus Christ. We want you to enjoy all that he offers. So um, you're going to notice when you came in just a couple, uh, a couple, a bunch of tables uh, around the back of the room, uh, today's group connects. So just uh, we want you to know that we're, we're hoping as God continues by his grace to uh, grow us in maturity and in, in depth and breadth and all the different ways that he is, uh, the groups will be a continual way that, that God would... Uh, allow us to become an every member ministry. And so um, these groups are going to become ever increasingly necessary uh, for us as we continue to, to grow as a people, as a body, uh, in numbers, and also just as mature disciples of his, uh, connecting in, in smaller communities throughout the week. And so we're uh, actually walking with all groups this year through um, caring for one another, which is uh, the reason we're doing this. It's the book that Ed Welch wrote. The reason we're doing this is because, number one, we stink at care, uh, and number two, because uh, God needs to grow us in this because it's going to be ever increasingly important. Um, and every member ministry is the only way that any church can be sustained. And Jesus actually prescribes this in the scriptures. He says that you're supposed to become members of ministry that equip saints that continue to equip others for ministry. And so... Um, it's going to be a wonderful spring, and we're praying that God would do a lot. So after the service, uh, the leaders will be at all the tables. You can see where they are. You can see where they gather, and you can see if one might fit your particular location and schedule. So uh, Lord willing, that'll be fruitful and helpful. Uh, let's pray, and let's dive in. We're going to finish uh, our couple weeks on stand. Hope you've enjoyed this walk with uh, dealing with the spiritual battle. Uh, it's been encouraging to hear how God's been using it. So uh, Father, we pray that you would, you would do the things that only you can do uh, in these coming moments. Thank you that you're Holy Spirit is the active agent in this. Thank you that it's not us. Um, thank you that there are things you want to show us, things you want to do in us, things you want to make us aware of that we were not aware of before, things you want to do in our hearts that have not yet been done. Um, so God, be kind to us. Uh, open our eyes to things that are, uh, can only spiritually be discerned and seen um, through your Spirit. Thank you for the gift of prayer, uh, the final component to what it means to wage a war in a healthy uh, serious way. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. Ephesians 6, here's what we've been doing. We've been looking for about six weeks at this issue of stand. Stand basically uh, is just uh, this, this phrase you see a lot in Ephesians 6 at the end that, that Paul's using and how we uh, fight the spiritual war. And so um, we have been looking at what it means to stand by wearing the armor that God gives. And we've been seeing three things throughout these six weeks that you need to know who your enemy is, you need to know who your king is, you need to know the weapons of warfare that God has graciously given you. And um, as he lands the plane, this Ephesian plane that he, he wrote to this church, who the Apostle Paul started this church, planted this church, handed it off to another pastor to continue uh, the work that was happening there, um, he writes them about a number of things. First three chapters, he writes basically saying, hey, this is who you are as a Christian. So um, the first three chapters just unpack for you over and over and over. This is what God has done for you in Christ. You are sealed. You are loved. You're forgiven. You're adopted. You're chosen. You are accepted. You are you were dead. Now you're alive. You have been given the Holy Spirit, this mystery that the Old Testament people were not even sure of, and all, all its clarity, it, it all comes together in Christ. This is you now. You are now the living temple of God. You now have the Spirit of God in you. All these things are finally and fully given to you in the personal work of Christ. And then he turns a corner in chapter four and starts getting into practice. If this is true about you, this is how it manifests itself in all of the different areas of life. And he ends with showing you that there's a final component, the spiritual battle, spiritual war. If you're unaware of that in your work life, in your marriage, in your family, in your everyday loving your neighbor, and you putting sin to death, then joy can be lost and usefulness can be lost. And so um, we walked through the last six weeks, the different pieces of armor, the spiritual war um, in its larger part, and he ends with um, the final necessary component in his entire plea, and it's prayer. Um, he's going to talk about prayer. Now, prayer is basically what Paul's going to show you, the thing that, that undergirds everything he's said already. So in other words, um, you can go at the spiritual battle with all that he said previously, but if it isn't tied to the active agent in this whole process, who cares? Um, so it's not about you just knowing your salvation, not only about you knowing your faith, not only about you knowing these truths, so to speak. It's about acting the spirit, act, asking the Spirit of God to inaugurate those things, to open up those things, and do a work in those things. Uh, language I've used a lot is that um, you're basically setting kindling up in your life, but you need the fire, the Holy Spirit of God to light it. So, so you can't make your children love Jesus Christ. You can't make them follow God, but you put kindling in place uh, that makes sense as you play lead and beg God to save their souls um, so that as he lights it, there's kindling there that, that helps the fire burn brightly. That, that's what we're doing. That's what Paul's going to show you here with prayer. Um, you got to operate the spiritual war, put your kindling in place in such a way that um, when then you come to the final component of prayer, um, it's likely that's going to work. It's likely that's going to light well. It's likely that you're going to understand uh, how to walk and do these things together. So uh, look at verse 18. This is how Paul ends this whole letter, but more specifically, dealing with the spiritual battle. He says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Um, so what's awesome is in, in a spiritual battle, you need communication. Now, you need communication to your king, right? And we know who our king is. It's King Jesus. And Praise God, we know that King Jesus is triumphant. We know that King Jesus has already won and will finally win. We know that he's victorious. We know that he's a good king. We know that we can trust our king. We know all these good realities about our King Jesus. And he says, um, you're going to need to communicate in your battle. Now, that would make sense, right? If, if you know about battles at all or wars, I mean, you've got to communicate to headquarters, right? You've got to always be communicating. That's why prayer is not predominantly for you to get something. It's for you to get to know God. It's communication, 
right? So many of us only pray when we need something or want to get something. No, your, your conversation with God is necessary to the spiritual war. It's communication. And notice he says praying at all times, right? That means uh, this is woven into all the different aspects of you waging war with the particular armor that you wear, right? You are praying at all times. Um, as you're wearing the shield of faith, you're praying that God would increase your faith. You're praying that God would help you believe his promises, right? As you wear the helmet of salvation, you're asking the active agent, this whole thing, to remind you of and to strengthen you in the reality of your salvation. Um, you need to be asking God and pleading with God and crying out to God as you walk as a good soldier under a good king. That's what he's getting at here with this understanding of prayer, and that's why he says the Christian prayer life is done in the spirit, done in the spirit. Um, so this is different than how all other religions pray. Other religions don't pray through and in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, they may pray through wishful thinking. They may pray through the demonic and other forces, but they do not pray in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Um, Christian prayer is very different. Christian prayer is all by itself. Christian prayer is very unique in that you pray through and from the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit. So I says you're praying in the Spirit. We ask the Spirit of God to produce spiritual good as we walk and live as his citizens. And the, reason, the other reason he says you pray in the Spirit is because he wants you to remember, and I said this previously, who the active agent is in this whole war. That's why you're praying in the Spirit. You're praying according to the Spirit of God. You remember that you don't actually have control. Right? Most of us buy the illusion of control. Let's just lay that out there. If we could be honest in church, right, for, for this morning at least, uh, most of us, the reason we lack prayerfulness is because we believe that we're in full control of our lives. We believe that we're going to win the war. We believe that we're going to overcome temptation. We believe that we're going to know what's right and what's wrong. We know how the world should exist. We know how the family should work. We believe that we control our environment, right? And, and culture does nothing but bolster this silliness in us, Right? Right, you be a better you, you go out and do it, you can be all you can be. No, we stink. We're not gonna be all we can be. We need the God who made us to tell us how things should be. Right? We need the God who made us, created us, fashioned us, and has given us his good, glad word to know what have you revealed, not do we think should be revealed. And so he's saying we we pray in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Um, listen, this this is huge because um this confidence we think that is solely in ourselves is really crazy. And because culture bolsters us in this, um, you can really grab almost any book on this topic and you'll see that it points to this particular idea where it basically says, if you do these things, then this will happen, right? So, so what it's saying is you can control your environment. You control your world. You control the existence of you, right? Right? Um, but, but what's crazy and what's sad is that that rolls into a lot of other things. Um, there's this illusion of control and that you'll see this roll into even marriage books. Uh, most marriage books that you find, and I love you if you still like some of these, so I won't name names, but, but they basically say if you do this, then your spouse will do this. Uh, so if you love them, then they'll respect you. And if you respect them, then they'll love you. And if you fill their love tank, they'll fill your love tank. Listen, uh, those are true things. But listen, uh, nothing will ruin your marriage faster. Do you know that? Because here's what happens is that's all birthed out of not sweet self-denying love to your spouse, but a form of manipulation, which really says, I want what I deserve. 
right? So I'll do these things if I get a result. And here's what you're actually functionally doing. Uh, the law is driving your marriage. Grace is not driving your marriage, right? So, so you're living and operating in this. Well, cool, I'm going to operate in this way so that I get this from my spouse. And when they don't, I get frustrated and annoyed. You've bought the illusion that you can control your spouse, or you control people, or you control your environment. Man, there's a king. He's the only one I've ever read about who has omnipotence, right? We don't have omnipotence. We don't have omniscience. We don't have omnipresence, right? But King Jesus does. So you're praying in accordance to what he knows and what he can do and what he has revealed to help us in these particular battles. And so a lot of us lack prayerfulness because, frankly, we think we can control our environment. And understand that doesn't mean we don't make wise choices. Making wise choices is not controlling your environment. It's making wise decisions and knowing that in the end, it's in the lap of God, though, still, and up to the Spirit of God. Uh, So I'm going to make wise decisions. The Bible calls me to make wise decisions, but I don't think those wise decisions are going to control the outcome. I do it because, well, live wisely. And then God, I'm submitting these decisions, these plans, these choices to you, right? He can bless, he can withhold, he can take, he can give. I mean... He has the full authority to do that. Now, this is why prayer does two things, and this is what um, Paul's really trying to get at. It does two things. One, it, it shows the complete sufficiency of God and reminds you of the total helplessness of man. It's really all prayer does. Uh, when, when you pray, when you're going into a spiritual war, you're acknowledging his full sufficiency, his full control, his full ability to be the general and the commander-in-chief, Right? And you're, you're admitting your, to your total helplessness in this war apart from him. That's what prayer does at the, at the end of the day. That's, that's what it means. So it shows that, God, you need nothing, you need no help, and you can do anything at any time that pleases your heart. And you don't need any help from that. You're infinitely wealthy. You're gloriously good. And it shows that we're in desperate need of that kind of sufficiency. I'm in desperate need of a God who's infinitely and gloriously wealthy and good and can do all that he needs to do and all that he wants to do to accomplish this particular thing. And I'm, I'm helpless, so I'm in desperate need of that kind of sufficiency. That's what prayer does. That's why it says you better be praying at all times. That doesn't mean that you're mumbling under your breath every minute of the day. It means that you're just continually in conversation with God. That, that pray without ceasing. I've heard that text preached, meaning you literally can't have conversations with humans because you're just praying without ceasing. No, it's, it's basically, you don't have to keep saying amen and, and, and stopping your prayer. It's just continually picking up throughout your day as you go, talking to God, having conversation. We're praying at all times in the Spirit. And so he's showing us that our directive is to call headquarters and say, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do today? What do I need to be aware of in the spiritual battle today? Uh, What type of armor do I need to be uh, more fully prepared with today? Okay, I'm listening to the Holy Spirit. He reveals to me through the word of God and what he's already written and said, and then I walk according to what he said. Just praying at all times. What do I need to, how do I need to see with spiritual eyes today? Uh, how do I need to see um, my life and my church and my relationships in light of Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, the spiritual war? Isn't that insane when you start looking at life and relationships and hardships through the spiritual battle, what God reveals? Um, and so that's what he's getting at here. And he says a number of phrases here that I want to show you each one. The first one he says is, to that end, keep alert. <laughs> to that end, keep alert. Um, this, is, this is really good. He says this because he's connecting prayer directly to the spiritual battle. And 
he's showing us a main re- another reason we lack prayerfulness is because we don't really believe that there are demonic forces who hate God's work and hate God's family. We're not alert. We're not watchful, right? The antennas aren't up, right? It's like people who fall asleep at war, right? They're not alert. They're not aware of their enemy, not aware of what's happening. And, and here he's showing us that you're out of tune or unaware that there are demonic forces that want to destroy the work of God in your own life, in your relationships, in the church, in work, in the home, in your children, right? He's showing us all these things. You've got to be alert about this, um, now, because most of us are unaware of this spiritual battle, it's, and we said this in the first service that we had in this series, is we think it's peacetime. We're not alert because we think it's peacetime. We think we're on a playground when it's a battleground. We think it's peacetime when it's really wartime. We don't believe that there are, there's a real imminent threat to us. So, so think about friends or families that have spouses or children over in the Middle East who are fighting right now, how well do you think they're praying? Better than you and I? Yes, they are. I'll answer that for you. Uh, Why? Why are they praying with more intensity? Why are they crying out? Because the reality of imminent threat is so real to them, right? The reality of war, the reality of, you know, my son, my daughter, my husband, my wife could get taken out any day. People have people in law enforcement or, or places of work where there's imminent threat daily, Right? Why, why do you think they're begging God and crying out? Because they're aware of war. They realize it's not peacetime. And he's saying, you got to keep to this end, keep alert. When you're alert, you pray. Because when you're alert, you're, you're aware of what's happening. And that draws you to the throne of grace. It draws you to your king. But since most of us don't view the Christian life through that lens, we're not led to cry out. We're not driven to pray. We're not driven to hold our children and ask God to protect them and Give them grace and protect our friends and family from deceptive false teachings and for God to, to help us with bitterness and, and to reconcile things that need to be reconciled. We're not, we're not led to cry out because we don't see the threat. Um, we don't see the imminent danger there. And this is why he follows to keep en- every end alert with all perseverance. <laughs> now, listen, why does he say with all perseverance? Um, because I know that no one in here with any church background is going, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be talking to God, right? Like no one in here is going, wait, prayer matters, prayer is important. We all know it, we just all stink at it, right? We all know theologically the, the importance of it. Even as, as I'm walking through this, you're going, yeah, I, I understand the realities. I, I even agree with you there, but, and he says perseverance because it takes perseverance, like, you learn to pray by praying. Like, you learn to cry out to God by crying out to God. Like, no one wakes up and stumbles into this miraculous life of prayer. Like, I don't understand. People always think they're going to wake up one morning, and all of a sudden, they're going to stumble into godliness and a life of fervent prayer. It's never going to happen. It never has happened. Historically, from the beginning, it is disciplines of God using ordinary means of grace to grow you over time as you build blocks and equity, spiritual equity, in your soul in regards to these things. No one wakes up loving the Word of God, reading, and having daily devotions every day at the same time, right? I mean, there's discipline in that. You learn by doing it. I'm always telling the staff, I never planted a church before. You know I learned to plant a church? By planting a church. Right? Praise God. There's people. I mean, I, you know how I, I learned to preach sermons? By preaching sermons. Like, you know how I learned to love people? By loving people and not loving people. 
right? You know, I learned to counsel by being a really bad counselor for a lot of years and apologizing, and that was really bad counsel. You come back in, can we try that again? That was really foolish. I mean, that, that, that's, that's how you do this thing. That's the Christian life. I mean, it's, it's growing in it through discipline, and just to encourage you in this, the New Testament acknowledges prayer is difficult. I mean, Paul's going to say in Romans 15, labor with me in prayer, That means work with me in prayer. That means the Apostle Paul, okay, right under Jesus, right? If we can find anyone who's like, right under Jesus. I mean, Job's pretty close and a few others. But you got, you you know, Paul right there. He's going, man, um, even I have to labor in this. Isn't that encouraging? Like Paul didn't wake up one morning just aggressive in his prayer life. He calls it a labor, says, work with me in prayer. It doesn't come easy for most of us. He's admitting that. So I want to remind us that no one just stumbles into that. No one wakes up just praying constantly. Um, Many of us think that, but we don't see the decades of work behind that brother or sister in God's gracious, slow work in them. Um, And this is why he says it takes perseverance. It takes perseverance. It takes endurance. Um, I mean... (laughs) Studying the scriptures, learning how to pray, praying with others. This is why man, we love gathering the last Wednesday of every month to pray together corporately. He's talking to the church, not just individuals. Right? So we come to, to pray and, and collectively seek his face and align our hearts with what we're saying to God and asking God to see our dependency as a church, not just as individuals. That's why at 815, there's a group that gathers in the classroom to ask God to just do something here. Then it doesn't matter how good the sermon is. doesn't matter how charismatic the speaker is. doesn't matter how many people show up. doesn't matter how many Bibles in the back. doesn't matter if communion's set. doesn't matter how good the music is. None of that matters if the Holy Spirit of God doesn't fall. doesn't matter. So they're saying, God, would you do something? Would you move? Would you act? Right? They're, they're acknowledging our helplessness. That, that's, that's why we persevere in this. That's why we're going to keep doing it, whether there's two people or 5,000. You persevere in it. You don't give up. You don't throw in the towel. You don't stop. He says, with all perseverance, you continue to do this. I was, when God really got a hold of my life in college, my first year of college, and then I, I saw the need for discipleship, I grabbed like two of my friends and said, hey, let's just start gathering in our room and just start studying books of the Bible. And I was like, man, I don't know, First Peter looks awesome, let's do that. And I realized, wow, First Peter, holy cow, you all are going to suffer, you're all going to be killed. You're like, okay, welcome to being a Christian. I'm like, okay, guys, let's walk through this. We looked at Hebrews and, and Titus, and then I said, hey, let's do an experiment. And at this point, we had grown to probably 40, 50 guys just kind of getting together, just wanting to seek the Bible and study the Word. And I said, why don't we, um, I told just one of my friends, I said, hey, we're going to do a little experiment. We're going to tell people next week we're all going to come together, and we're just going to pray. And so we told the group, hey, next week, um, we're going to just pray. We're going to spend our time. We normally take kind of walking through the text, just praying. You know how many people showed up? Zero. You know what that reveals? You think you control your circumstances. You think you control life. You don't think there's really imminent threat or danger. You know that historically you've seen that when people call prayer meetings? No one comes? Hey, you want to talk about the Bible? You want to talk about like, hey, how to fix your marriage, have a good sex life, dating, all these other things? Hey, what is that? Man, the, the droves come in, right? You want to do a Q&A? You want to do this, this cool thing? We all get together and, and eat crumpets and tea and just, you know, talk with each other and do little things. Like, everyone will come, man. All, everyone comes out of the woodwork. Hey, we're going to get together and seek the king's face. 
and ask him to inaugurate his rule and reign and ask him to remind us of the the imminent danger and threat right now as you're sitting in your seat. There are demonic forces that hate that you're here and want to blind you, deafen you, dissuade you away from every bit of truth that he wants you to get. Unaware of that, so we're not led to cry out. We're not led to pray. So can I encourage you to come Wednesday? That's a good plug. It's this Wednesday, God's sovereign. That's not in the notes, but he's really faithful. This Wednesday's worship and prayer. Get your butt here. Let's go. It's great. I got like a reason now to, it's awesome. I mean, I always had a reason, but yeah, let's go. Um, You're all excommunicated if you don't show up this Wednesday night. But here's what's great. This, this connects four times. He's used this language of stand. Stand, 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 stand. Persevere. Right? You, you seeing the heart behind Paul in the spiritual war? Remember, to stand doesn't mean to stand still. The church is on offense. Prayer is this offensive way of gaining enemy territory. We're, we're appealing to you because we know that you've won, and we want to continually take away ground from the captives and the captor who has them enslaved. I want you to open their eyes to how they've been blinded. So Paul's reminding us the Christian life in this war is not a temporary deployment, it's a life assignment. Being a Christian is not a temporary deployment. It's a life assignment, and you've got to persevere. And why can we endure, though? Because we know the end. You know, even in, in human wars, they don't have that promise, Right? They have potential and possible victory, not certainty. But we've got certainty in our victory. And that's why we can endure. That's why we can persevere. That's why we can keep plodding. Because we know how the end has already been written. Um, listen, I love weddings. But I'm moved by 40-year anniversaries. Right? I mean, anyone can say, yeah, that's, this is a good day. I'm making this decision. But I'll tell you what ministers to me and moves me is seeing perseverance and endurance right? Um, seeing relationships through thick and thin, continue to work it out, that ministers to me, that moves me. Seeing people bear with one another. Not just the, yeah, this seems nice. This union, this church, right? What ministers to me is endurance. Paul's saying we persevere. We persevere. Heaven's when we rest. Heaven's when we take the armor off. Until then, it's perseverance. It's wartime, right? Then he says, making supplication for the saints, Paul says, pray for the saints. Pray for each other. Why? Because you're in a war. Nothing's worse than soldiers pointing the guns at each other. I mean, nothing's worse than being in the bunker shooting each other as the enemy's advancing over the hill. Right? He's saying this. So so pray for each other. Don't turn your guns on each other. Don't gossip about one another. Don't become embittered against one another. Don't despise one another. Don't attack one another. Do you know that Satan and demons already have that role covered? They already have that enemy role filled? Uh, so we don't need to join that role. He says, you're in a war, so, so pray for one another. Make supplications for the saints. Pray for the church at large. Pray for your local church. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your friends. I'm, can I encourage you, if you have a heart that's really embittered towards someone, to start praying for them and watch your heart soften? Like, it's amazing. Um, people who do not know Jesus I always say this with evangelism, it's amazing. When, when I really start praying for a particular person, my heart becomes so increasingly burdened for that particular person and grows in such 
desire and, and affection for that person, that I get courage I didn't know I had. I get a desire to say things I didn't know I had before. Um, start praying for people. Start praying for people you don't want to pray for. And watch God change your heart. It's amazing. Then he says, pray also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Paul says, pray for each other and pray for me. Man, let me ride his coattails. Isn't that so encouraging? Pray for your pastors and leaders. Paul's on to something. If the leaders are weak, if the leaders are getting shot, then it's going to lead to everybody else getting shot. Right? If you don't have strength at the top, it just trickles down. If you don't have unity at the top, it just trickles down. If you don't have love, grace, selflessness at the top, it trickles down. Right? So Paul says, pray for me. Pray that I be bold. Notice, not my physical needs. Pray for my battle. Pray for my warfare. He's going, man, understand that there's a war waging, not just here, but even in, in the pastors and preachers and ministers that God has given specific and, and unique duties of in the church of Jesus Christ. So you pray for them. You encourage them. Um, he says, pray for boldness. Now, some of your guys are going, man, why does Paul need prayer? Why do, why do pastors need prayer? Because they need the same gospel you need. Did you know that your pastors and elders here need the same gospel that you need? Did you know that I wake up in the morning needing the same good news that you need? To save me from sin and to rescue me from bad decisions and to allow me to walk in wisdom, to have the same Holy Spirit of God, to empower me and, and, and use me? He's, he's just reminding us of the level playing field. It's very encouraging. It's like, man, while you're at it, while you're praying for each other, can you pray for me? Um, as I'm planting churches and advancing the work of the gospel. And you know what I love? Paul knows that, like, <laughs> that if God grows him, it affects others. In other words, he's saying, if, if, you gr- if you pray that God grows my boldness, do you know that others are going to grow in boldness? If you read Philippians, it's amazing. He's in prison, and he says, because you've been praying for my boldness, as my boldness has increased, others are being emboldened. So, so as we pray for others, it's actually affecting others. And the, and the reverberation effect, the ripple effect is increasing. The circle's growing. It's amazing. And then he says to pray that I would proclaim the mystery of the gospel. <laughs> this is awesome, the mystery of the gospel. Um, Paul's connecting the spiritual battle to the first three chapters of this book where he talks about this mystery of the gospel that's been revealed It's been made known that there is a God who dwells in infinite perfections and that he set his love and affections upon you before you were born, before you decided to love him. In grace and mercy, he saved you as you were a sinner, not when you were doing well, not when you cleaned up your life, not when you were performing well. He he saved you, he redeemed you, he sealed you, all for the goodness of his glory and your joy. And what it shows is this good news is not just going to be a Jewish thing, but a worldly global thing. Because if you go back to the Old Testament, when God comes to a guy named Abram in Genesis 12 and says, hey, uh, through your descendants, through your line, I'm going to bless all nations, right? And so the good news has always been, it's not just going to be an Israelite thing, it's going to be a global thing. And you see that line of descendants start trickling down to where the people of God go into, the, go into Egypt, they get too big for Egypt, Egypt gets concerned, they put them all into slavery, right? God says to Moses, hey, go tell, deliver my people, go to Pharaoh, tell him to let my people go. He leads them out into the wilderness, towards the land of promise, that'll make it the land of promise because they're disobedient. 
But what does God do? He gives them the law. Now, you and I look at the law as cruel and harsh. They saw it as an act of grace. It's an act of mercy, protective. God's going to cover us in our disobedience. He's going to show us the good way out. He's going to show us how to line ourselves up with his will. And here's what's great. He goes, hey, uh, as you attempt to obey the law, realize you can't. Let me give you the sacrificial system. Let me, let me institute this because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin, Hebrews tells us. So, so then they, they do this and they realize as they fall short, they're making sacrifices for sin. And then all the prophets are sent to remind them that there's a great day coming where a deliverer is going to come and make all things right. And ultimately, you see in Habakkuk, the glory of God is going to cover the whole earth like the waters cover the sea. It's repeatedly said that the God of Israel is the God of everyone and ultimately, not just the Israelites, but all people have access to this God. But how? So there's a tabernacle, right? That's where the presence of God is and it, and it follows the people of God and that's where they get access to God. And So, so what happens after all of that where, where they, they're told consistently that there's this moving tabernacle where, where God is with them but it's gonna be everywhere at all times. This message continues but it's a mystery as to how all this is gonna get worked out. Like, like the questions are like, well, if you've got a moving temple, um, is everyone in the world going to come to the temple to be with God? Right? So are we going to like, you know, I don't know, maybe put the temple on loan, send it out to Asia, so then the people there get God in his presence, and then ship it over to the U.S. for a couple months, and then send it down to Africa for a little while, and then ship it over to Australia for a little while, or how's that going to work? See, it's, it's all a mystery, this presence of Christ. It's a mystery until Jesus Christ comes. And what's awesome is he comes, lives out the fullness of the law, goes to the cross, dies in our place as our substitute for our sins, rise from death, and what does he do? He gives you the Holy Spirit and says the temple is now in you. The temple of God that now goes to all nations and all tribes and all tongues, that's going to be carried, right? God is now with man. God is with us. The great news of Christmas that now the mystery has been revealed. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So now you don't need a tabernacle. Now you don't need a, a moving system. It says the people of God spread like the waters cover the sea. His glory is with them. His glory is in them. It's insane. And so this mystery is revealed. It's as we become believers in Christ, we're the temple of the living God now. So here's what's interesting. You get to Acts, Holy Spirit falls, Jesus has uh, the mystery's been revealed in Jesus Christ, the personal work of what he's done. And, 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 and Peter gets up in Acts 2 and preaches an amazing sermon. And 3,000 people come to Christ, first megachurch that exists in the New Testament. And, and all these people are, are wanting to know him, they're repenting of sin, and, but they're all Jewish, right? So it's still this, this kind of Jewishly central thing. But then you get to Acts 10, where, where he gets a, Paul, Paul or Peter, I can't remember, gets a vision, goes to Cornelius, right? And Cornelius gets saved. Deal is he's a Gentile. And Peter's like, oh shoot, can God do that? Like he just got saved. And then I love Acts 15. Acts 15 is amazing for ministry today. They all get together. The whole church council gets together. Hmm, can God do that? Can God save him? Can God, in that classic for today? I don't know. Can God do that? Can God save him? Can God save her? They look a little rough around the edges. Like, is that really what grace does? Is that really how grace works? And so he saves Cornelius. And here's what's awesome. That just sends Paul as a catalyst to start the ever-increasing church planning movement the world will ever know, which is why you and I are here today. We're here because the mystery's been solved and seen. But, but here's the problem. 2 Corinthians 4, there's a God of this world that has blinded the 
eyes and minds of unbelievers from seeing the glory of this mystery in Christ. So Paul's saying, will you pray? That, will you realize there's a, there's a spiritual veil? Will you realize that as you're praying for God to work, as this mystery to be made known, would you, would you pray and make it, and, and remember that there's a spiritual battle, that, that the enemy's not them? that they're deceived, that they're believing a lie, that would you pray that the God of this world would be pushed back and out and away so they might see and know and be illuminated to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's how he's connecting it to prayer here. It's awesome. Would you remember that they're captives and they're held enslaved by a captor? Remember how you remind us at the very beginning, you don't wrestle flesh and blood, but the principalities, rulers, and authorities of the present darkness? that people that disagree with you in doctrine aren't the enemy, that there's an enemy and it's Satan and his demons, that your neighbor's not your enemy, they're captives held by a captor. And we want to see them set free. Now all of us can grow in this area of prayer. Church at Bergen can grow in this. Um, I, I was so, it was administered to me so much at our member gathering two weeks ago when I heard Rosa get up and share about how prayer at 815 had so nourished her and encouraged her. And how God has just given her such a love for the people in that room that pray and to see God answering prayers. Um, I love that we're seeing God answer prayers that we've been praying on the last Wednesday of the month at corporate prayer, at prayer and worship time. But there's more God wants to do. There's more that God wants to see. Uh, There's more reconciliation, more forgiveness of sin, more people being delivered from demonic forces and opposition and Uh, There's more territory that God wants to advance as our king. So he's invited us into that. So so hear me when I say this about prayer. If we get this, anything's possible. If we don't, nothing's possible. Like you do understand that. Like it doesn't matter how big the church is. There can be zero spiritual good happening. Like like we need to ask God to do the spiritually unseen things that we're incapable of doing. So we need to ask God to move and ask God to work and ask God to help and transform. So understand, when the Bible talks, just to encourage you, when the Bible talks about prayer, it says two things. One, it's very serious, and secondly, it's very difficult. And it is, it is so welcoming to you as someone who is um, new to the Christian life or well aware of your um, lack of prayerfulness. Um, God loves to encourage you in this. Um, and so understand that, that these steps we want to take as a church are just going to continue to understand that you learn to pray by praying. And we pray because he listens to us and because he wants to listen. Um, you know, I've found that um, no one's really going to go, wait, he hears me and he wants to hear me? Usually. Um, what I have found is the Christian who has a less vibrant prayer life is because usually you're trying to let guilt and shame draw you to the Lord. Guilt and shame will never line you up for what God has for you. Um, Guilt and shame is going to push you away from the Lord. So what draws us to the Lord is the invitation that he welcomes the broken, um, that the king, the sergeant general of the cosmos, it welcomes us into prayerfulness and praying and encouraging. That's what, the God, that's what God does. I mean, this is an amazing invitation. He listens to us and wants to listen to us. 
Um, I'm going to end just showing this text, Psalm 34. Psalm 34, 17. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Listen, if you're saying, Pastor Mike, that's one of the reasons I don't pray. It says the righteous cry out for help. I'm not righteous. That's right. You're not. And you've got to circle yourself all the way back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't feel righteous. I'm not righteous. And this is when the righteous cry out for help, God hears. So I don't think God hears me because I'm not righteous. This is why I think a lot of people lack prayerfulness. And can I encourage you and let a fire in you with the gospel of Jesus Christ for a moment? Let me remind you of it's never your righteousness that gives you good standing. It's never your righteousness that makes you able to talk to God. Your mediator, 1 Timothy, is Christ, who is your righteousness for you. So the amazing invitation in prayer is he wants to listen to me despite me. Like he wants to hear me, weak, feeble soldier, can't even find my gun. Don't even know how to shoot straight. And the general invites me into his chambers and says, yeah, cry out to me. Talk to me in the wartime mentality. Seek my face. I'll answer you and give you help. It's Christ's righteousness imputed to you that you can call to God and be delivered. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the good news of what, so, so listen, you can breathe because it's not your mood this week that gives you the ability to talk to God, okay? It ain't your quiet time this week that allows you, I don't know, can I talk to him today? I skipped yesterday. Man, run to that throne, Hebrews 4 says, of grace, so you find help in time of need, right? Not when everything's going great. He died for you in your sin, and he keeps listening to you as you struggle in your sin, This is an amazing invitation, stunning. The most awkward and broken of us are welcome to the king's chambers. Man, that's a stunning invitation. That makes me want to run into his courts. That does not push me away. Because listen, guilt and shame are terrible motivators. And if you wait for that day, that day will never come. He says, come to me now. Every other belief says, fix yourself, do these things, and then you're welcome. He's the only God that says and makes this invitation come to me. So let us not just pray. Let us approach God with confidence. Confidence that I'm welcome, that I'm wanted, that I'm heard, not because of me, but because of Jesus. Um, This is why we take communion. We're going to take communion because we remember that our king is victorious and that our king has won and that the reasons we can endure is because he shed his blood and he broke his body, that he became a soldier in the land and waged the war himself for us. And put sin to death through his own broken body and shed blood and rose back from death, gifting his spirit to allow us to advance with his cause and his kingdom. That's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper each week, so that we now have access to him. This is also why we're going to sing. Hey, do you know what nations, what people, what groups do um, when uh, their kingdom reigns, when they win a great war historically? Man, they gather and sing in the streets and celebrate. Why? Because they're set free. Because they were once captives to a captor. Now they're, they're free to live and free to rule and free to reign under a good king. That's why we sing. So let's take a few minutes to pray before we do these two aspects of grace. I want to give you a moment to pray individually. Well, let's apply right now what God has been doing. Ask God for a deepened desire for prayerfulness. Ask him right now. Be brutally honest with him as to where you're at. Ask him what that looks like. 
maybe some of you pray for the things that Paul said to pray for. Alertness, boldness, perseverance. Ask God to transform this place through prayer. Maybe remind yourself of a promise that God says, come to me, that he hears you and he wants to hear from you. He's not too busy. Remind yourself of of what's at stake in your home, in this church, in your work, in your neighborhood. Remind yourself of those things. Ask God to help you. I have to do this a lot. God, I'm blinded today. I'm, I'm apathetic today. I feel slothful today would you renew my zeal would you rekindle my desires for you God we ask that we would stand we ask that we would stand in our spheres of influence ask that you'd help us to stand in our homes I ask that you'd help us to stand in prayer I ask that you'd help us to stand with one another. I ask that you'd help us to stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's for the glory of your name we pray. Amen.